Well, amen. Good morning. How is everybody? Yeah, good. <laughs> Glad to have you here today. Scott was talking about uh, pumpkin spice coffee and all those pumpkin spice whatevers, and I couldn't help. I'm not trying to make you hungry here, but I couldn't help but think about the uh, Panera has this squash soup. Anybody like squash soup? I mean, it's like only out in the fall. It is amazing stuff. I'm telling you, it is just like, wow. If you like squash soup, there's nothing better than there. Of course, it'll cost you about $95 a bowl or something like that. Uh, man, oh man. But anyway, hey, it's great to have you here today. And uh, happy Labor Day to you. And uh, I trust you'll enjoy your longer weekend. I hope you get to have a longer weekend. And uh, uh, in the midst of all of what's going on, that it will be an encouraging, relaxing time for you. Genesis chapter 4 relates to us one of uh, to the most famous sets of brothers in Scripture, right? In the Bible. Maybe the most famous sets of brothers everywhere. Of course, that was before those two brothers that do the flipping house thing, right? But anyway, um, Cain and Abel. Uh, probably the most famous set of brothers that we know of in Scripture, in the Bible. Simply put, though, is we, we know about them is not the greatest stuff, but, but really what happened is that Cain became jealous of God's favor on his brother Abel, and as a result, murdered him. I mean, that's what you would know, and I won't go into the details. You know that story, and when God came after uh, Cain had murdered Abel when God came to seek out Cain and talk to him about what he had happened. He, he asked, where is your brother Abel? And Cain's response was, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Right? That's the line we all know. Am I my brother's keeper? Um, Put really another way or which being interpreted to really mean, he would say this, my brother is not my problem. That's really his answer, what he was indicating. I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? Really, God, he's not my problem. And that phrase, am I my brother's keeper, has come to uh, symbolize for people today as we respond uh, our unwillingness, or whoever happens to make that statement, the unwillingness to accept responsibility for the care of other people. That's really what that phrase has come to characterize when we say that. I don't have any responsibility. I don't really want any responsibility for my brother's care. That's the way it is. Well, Jesus taught differently, didn't he? We just sang about God's love. And we just sang about the need for us to reflect, display that love to others. And uh, we know Jesus said, we looked at it last week a little bit, that we, uh, the second greatest commandment was we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Paul repeated that in Galatians chapter 5. He also said that the command, love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus told in, in, in the book of Luke uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan 
about our neighbor being anyone in need and are we willing to be that good neighbor to whoever may be in need around us. Now my question as we begin this morning for you is, do you believe you have a responsibility to talk with a believer when they sin? To talk with a believer about their sin when they sin? Do we have that responsibility? Should we be concerned about talking with a brother or sister in Christ, a fellow believer who has sinned? Should we, do we have a responsibility to talk to them about that sin? Well, we're going to take a look at that this morning. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Verses 1 and 2 we'll look at, but Galatians chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2. And uh, there we have, uh, really, as we're going to look at, an answer from God's Word to the question that I asked you. Do you believe you have a responsibility to talk with a believer when they sin? Well, here it is, Galatians chapter 6, and let's look at these verses. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, there it is, someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. And then verse 2 uh, talks about that, and we'll look at that in just a minute. We're going to go down through this verse, uh, just a phrase at a time, and see exactly what it is Paul is teaching us as individual believers. Now, in order to really understand what Paul is saying to the churches uh, that are in the region of Galatia, we, we have to understand the whole book of Galatians, the letter that Paul wrote. Because the point or the time at which he wrote, the occasion for which he wrote that letter, was that uh, there was a group of Judaizers, those who were known uh, as uh, Jewish Christians, who were trying to continue to live the Old Testament. In fact, they were troubling the Gentile churches in the region of Galatia by insisting that in order to be a good Christian, you first had to be a good Jew. That was what it was all about. And they were still trying to throw on the believers, the followers of Jesus, those who had trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. The Old Testament system of the law was no longer part of their regular daily life because Jesus once for all sacrificed for sin. It was no longer necessary to sacrifice every day the bulls and goats, the animals that were there. The high priest did not have to go into the tabernacle or the temple anymore and do that on a daily basis for the sins of the people. Why? Because Jesus had gone to the cross to once for all, forever, pay for our sins. Man, that's fantastic. That's but, but the Jews there, these group called the Judaizers, who were legal, legalists, who were trying to say, no, it was faith plus the works of the law that you had to continue with. 
You had to continue on in that. Circumcision was necessary for salvation. They had to continue to keep the the law of Moses. They had to continue to observe the special days or months or seasons or years that had been part of the Old Testament Jewish law. Faith plus keeping the law was necessary for salvation. That's what they were teaching. That's the false teaching that was going on in that region in the, in the churches in Galatia, which is primarily made mostly of, of Gentiles who would come to Christ. That's heresy. That's heresy. Because Jesus died, and by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith alone, for the, for, for, the, for the forgiveness of our sins, we will be made right with God. We will be forgiven and saved. That's all. Faith in Jesus alone. As we say, faith alone in Christ alone. The work of the cross alone. That's what Jesus provided for us. Forgiveness of sin. There was no longer any works necessary. All of the Old Testament law, rituals, and keeping was no longer necessary because of the work of Christ on the cross. That's it. So as we understand that, that's the basis, the foundation. And it was getting to be a problem. In fact, if you will open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 6, if you haven't already done that, Galatians chapter 6, and just... Keep your place there. Look back a couple of chapters to the beginning of the book of Galatians, chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. And and just look at verses 6 and 7. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And Paul is talking to these churches as this letter circulated to the churches in that region. He says, verse 6 of Galatians 1, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul was talking about was what these Jewish believers are saying. You you, you got to be a good Jew first before you can be a good Christian. Well, that's just not necessary. He called it another gospel, a different gospel, which is really, verse 7, no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ because the gospel is Jesus died in my place, in your place, for my sin, for your sin. And when we believe... We're forgiven, period. Nothing else. Faith plus nothing except believing in Jesus Christ. The problem was that's what was being taught. And Paul said, no, this is not true. And that's the foundation. Now, you'll understand that as we get here to the last chapter, chapter 6. So let's just go through it. Paul starts out by saying brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. So he's talking to believers. He's talking to those who know Jesus Christ. And I think I have that on a slide just all by itself. Brothers and sisters. He's talking to those who know Jesus. He's not talking to people who don't know Jesus. He's not talking to people who say, well, yeah, I know a little bit about him, but I have all the knowledge up here, but I have never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that, brothers and sisters. Listen, it it indicates to us he's talking to those who are part of the church, believers. He's not. When we get into this, this will make no sense to people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
It will make no sense to those who do not know Jesus Christ. It just won't, and you'll see what I mean as we go through that. It also won't make sense to those who, who, who know Jesus, but who are not really connected or engaged in or understanding that the local church is necessary, that it's a community of believers where God's people gather together and, and, and are part of a body that love one another, care for another, serve one another, and so forth. It won't make sense unless we understand that as well. But primarily when he says brothers and sisters, he's gaining the attention of those who know Jesus Christ. He's expressing his love for them, brothers and sisters, and he's saying, listen, you need to get this. I, it, the, I, I care about you that much. Brothers and sisters, get this. And then he says, if someone is caught in a sin, if someone is caught in a sin, guilty, no question, it's sin. This is not a preference. This is not somebody's opinion. Uh, Paul says, if someone is caught in a sin, he goes on, he's talking about the, the word sin there is trespass. It has to do with a fall, a, a deviation from truth. It has to do with a false step or a slip overtaken by that sin, almost to the point of being surprised when he says, if someone is caught in a sin, trapped by the subtlety of sin and didn't realize it, caught by that sin before they were even aware that they had been sinning. And, and the idea of this word sin here is that it is, it is a, a, not a habitual action. It's not something that they had done all the time. It is not a repeated over and over and over kind of sin. It was a, an isolated act, not an intentional thing, but an inadvertent fall into sin. Nevertheless, it was sin, and it is serious, and Paul is saying, if someone is caught in a sin, you say, how about an illustration? Well, let's talk about Peter. Do you remember Peter, the, the night that Jesus was crucified, the night that Peter betrayed, or not he betrayed, he denied Jesus, Judas did that, but the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas, Peter followed as they took him into the courtyard of the high priest, and there they, they asked Jesus questions, and they beat him, and, and Peter was outside, and you remember the story three times, Peter denied that he knew Jesus Christ. Now, Peter didn't go into that evening intending to deny that he knew Jesus, right? He lied. Not only that, he, 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 he broke the trust that Jesus had had in him by denying because he was afraid of what might happen to him if he admitted, yes, I know Jesus. I follow Jesus. Yes, I'm one of his disciples. Peter said, no, I didn't even know the man three times. Did Peter intend to do that? No. In fact, Peter had already said earlier when Jesus had predicted that Peter and the other disciples would deny that they knew him. Not me, Lord. I'll never do that. I would die for you. But he did. That wasn't an intentional thing. He did not try to do but it happened. That's the kind of sin we're talking about. Anybody know? Oh, I won't ask for you to raise your hand. But anybody know that kind of sin? Sure we do. We could all say, if we were honest, we'd all say, yeah, that's me. I'm there. When I sin, often. 
He goes on. He says, brother and sister, someone is caught in a sin. You who live by the Spirit. Some of your translations may say, you who are spiritual. The idea, you who live by the Spirit. You who are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. You who are led by the Spirit. You who are spiritually minded. You who are spiritually mature. You who demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in your life when you live. You see, if we'll go back up into chapter 5. You're in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. If you'll just back up into chapter 5 in your Bibles there and, and just go up to, oh, say, verse 13. And Paul says there, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, here he goes, serve one another humbly in love. He goes on at the end of verse 14. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on down to verse 16. He says, walk or live by the Spirit. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verses 22 and 23, what we call the fruit of the Spirit. That's what Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit. It's singular it's one thing these things are true of us the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace forbearance kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control when all of these things that Paul is talking about there in chapter 5 when they characterize the way we live daily when, when we walk in love, when we are full of that joy, when we have that peace, when those things characterize our lives on a regular basis, doesn't mean when we're perfect. Those of you who never sin, those of you who if you were to open your shirt, it would be a big S for super Christian. No, that's not who Paul's talking. You who live by the Spirit, not perfect people, not believers who never sin, but those who are characterized regularly by living under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. The fruit, verses 22 and 23, love, joy, peace, and so forth, that characterizes our lives on a daily basis. You see that more often than you don't. Now, this should be the case for all believers because you may be saying, okay, you who live by the Spirit, I can't do that. You who are spiritual, no, that, that's not me. I, I want to get there someday, but I'm not there now. This ought to characterize most, uh, those of us who know Jesus Christ most of the time. It just ought to be true of it's just about every day we live. Oh, yeah, we know we sin, we mess up, we blow it. But when we do, we've talked about this. 1 John 1, 9, we confess that sin, we admit that sin, we say the same thing about our sin that God does. We acknowledge it before God. And what does, what does John say in 1 John 1, 9? He will cleanse us from all of that unrighteousness. That's a fellowship kind of breaker, sin is there. But when we deal with it, hey, we're back on right ground with God. We're always saved. We've never lost that salvation. But the fellowship is, a, is messed up. But here, what, what Paul is saying, you who live by the Spirit, you who are under the direction and the control and the leading of the Spirit of God in your daily living, you, all right, that's what he says. Next part of the verse, he says, you are to restore 
one another. You should restore that person. What person? The person who was caught in a sin. The person who broke the law. The person who was surprised, who, who was unintentionally caught by sin and sinned. You, who live by the Spirit, should restore that person. Now, going to that who live by the Spirit, you see, one of the things that we sometimes will say, we read that, we say, well, that's not me, really. No, it should be all of us who know Jesus most of the time. And we are to restore that person. You know what that word is? Restore there? It's a word for fixing, mending the nets. You know, we, we read back in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you've read back there, and, and Peter, James, and John were, Andrew, Peter, James, and John were fishermen, right? And they would be by the side of the Sea of Galilee mending their nets. That's the same word, restoring their nets to that initial, that, that good uh, condition so they could catch fish. It's a word that means to repair the damage, to equip. It's a word that, that means to set a bone. When you get a broken bone and it gets out of place or you get a dislocated shoulder or arm or knee or whatever it may be, you've heard of that somebody dislocated their ankle. Well, it, it's, the word here is to put it back in place, to set that bone so that it can heal. And the idea of restoration is the rehab and the therapy that goes on when that bone is put back in place. So the bone is put back in place, whether it was dislocated or if it was broken, it's surgically put back together so it can heal. But then you need rehab. You could talk to Pastor Paul. He just had a knee replacement. He's doing rehab on his knee. Why? Oh, they surgically fixed it, but it takes time to get it back to its original good condition. That's the word restore. And what Paul is saying is that we need to restore those who've been caught in sin, who have sinned. We need to help bring them back to their former good spiritual condition in fellowship with God. Have you heard the answer to the question that I asked at the beginning of the, our time together this morning? Do you have a responsibility to care for somebody when they sin? Do you have the responsibility to care about to talk to, to restore an individual when they sin, one who knows Jesus Christ as Savior? Well, here's what Paul says. You who are spiritual, you who live by the Spirit, should restore that person. A number of years ago, I came across, uh, anybody familiar with Cold Stone ice cream? Right? Yeah, you, some are going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm talking about a lot of food this morning. Of course, it's hard to talk about Cold Stone. we got Manning's right up the street, right? But uh, either way, Cold Stone Ice Cream, they used to have, they may still have a little marketing slogan that said, friends don't let friends buy ice cream at the grocery store. <laughs> That's a good one, right? I like that. Do you remember uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, Mad? And there was another chapter called Students Against Drunk Driving, Sad. And, and what they used to say was, friends don't let friends Drink and drive, right? You've heard that. Well, you know what Paul's saying? Friends don't let friends sin and not do anything about it. That's what we're talking about here. 
Friends don't let friends sin and not do anything about it. Not help them deal with that sin. Not help them understand the need to confess that sin and to get back into a right fellowship with God. Why? Because you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. And the next word, single word, gently. Because sometimes what do we do? We somebody, we, somebody sins and what we sometimes want to do is get the Bible out and hit him over the head. Not literally, but right? metaphorically pound them with that don't you know restore that person gently what's what's the idea of that word carefully with caution doesn't mean we're lenient doesn't mean we go easy doesn't mean we overlook the sin doesn't mean we just kind of wash it away or try to talk it away or excuse it away that's not what we're talking about we're talking about not harshly with sensitivity, but we deal with the sin. We help them deal with the sin in humility, in a careful manner. I've never had a broken bone in my life. I've had some, I have a surgically repaired shoulder. Some of you remember that. I've dislocated fingers. If, if any of you have ever played basketball or some sport where you can reach your arm out and all of a sudden the ball hits and, oh man, and, and your finger is out of joint, right? You ever had that happen? And a lot of times they'll try to snap it. And I remember in, in the first church that Jane and I were pastoring out in Iowa, it was Christmas break and there were a bunch of college kids that came home and I was still young enough to not be too far beyond college. You know how that goes. Even though you're out of college, you think you're still okay like a college student anyway. We're playing basketball and, and here we are. Uh, I reach my hand out and boom, the ball hits it and, and it was my little finger and oh, I knew it hurt, and I didn't know if it was broken or what had happened, but, you know, everything inside, I'm holding it, grabbing it, hugging it. You know how you do that, right, when you get hurt? It's like when you hit your thumb with a hammer, same thing, right, or, or whatever. It's just like your whole body grabs around, and so finally, I got enough nerve to look at it, and this part of my finger was on top of this joint of my finger. Really, it was. Like, you ever, ever heard of a knuckle sandwich? Well, there you go. That's kind of what it was. And I was like, oh, no, and it hurt even more then. Well, this guy comes walking over, and, and I hardly even knew him, and uh, I knew who he was, where he came from, but he says, can I see that? I'm like, no. You, yeah, okay, look. He says, well, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm in med medical school. Okay. He said, L let me just look at it. I, he, I said, no, no. He says, I, I, I won't hurt you. Just let me look at it. So I'm like, you know, stick it out there, and he's doing And before I knew what happened, he just pulls that thing, and it pops it right back in, and I hardly even felt it. And it was, whoa. Put it, yeah, can you say, that was a gentle approach. It wasn't just, all right, everybody, grab him and hold him down. I'm going to fix this, right? No, restore that person gently and 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 let me add that gentleness has to do with humility it has to do with the willingness that they've sinned but gently has to do with we're gonna we're forgiving them we're not judging them we're not going to be all over them the, why did you do it well they sinned and we're there to help get them back in right fellowship with Jesus we're there to help them understand what first John 1 9 is all about and, and, 
and understand there's no time frame in the verse here. We don't know how long thereafter we know about it. Somebody is caught in the sin. They've sinned. They're guilty. Nothing questionable about it. We know that. Paul says that. All right. How long down the road are, are we? It, we're, we sometimes read this and think like, okay, they sin right now. And, and in the next 10 minutes, I'm going to talk to them about it. Well, that might be that way if you're with them when that happens, but it could be a day or two or five, we don't know, a week. The point being, whenever we're there, we know they've sinned. We're walking with God, living by the Spirit. We are to restore them. We are to do it gently. We are to recognize that it could be us if it wasn't for the grace of God. We're not there to judge and condemn. We're there to help them understand God's forgiven you. If you know Jesus Christ, you need to acknowledge your sin to God and deal with it. That's what we're talking about. Listen, the restoration to that individual is critical. If we would do this on a regular basis as brothers and sisters in Christ, as members of the body of Christ, if we would restore those who are taken in sin, things would be different, folks. Absolutely would be different. We wouldn't have half the problems we have in church created by sin that's not dealt with. And then he goes on, and he says this, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. In other words, if you think you're without sin, take heed lest you fall. That's, that's what we're talking about. Watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Listen, none of us are above sin either. We need to recognize that. And when we're helping to restore that individual gently, we need to keep in mind there needs to be a humble spirit and a willingness on our part to be forgiving and help that individual get back into a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. My brother fell today. I might fall tomorrow. That's the spirit with which we help the one who is caught in a sin. That's the restoration. Listen, that takes some confrontation sometimes. It takes a conversation. It takes a spiritual conversation. This is a big deal. This is loving a person enough. We've been talking about love your neighbor as yourself. This takes enough love to go to that individual knowing that they may not respond well. That their response may be, well, who do you think you are? Have you never sinned? Oh, by the way, I happen to know what you did or I overheard what you said. Well, that's not the point. Does, do we have any of the conditions in here for who should restore that individual caught in a sin? The only condition we have is you who are spiritual. That ought to be all of us on a regular basis who know Jesus Christ. And if we think, well, that's not me, then we have problems then we have sin that needs to be dealt with. 
Because we have a responsibility, a spiritual responsibility for one another. It means that we must have those spiritual conversations. Well, watch yourselves or you also may, de- may be tempted. And, and when we have, these, we have these conversations with ourselves, that, well, I can't do that. That's not going to go well. They're going to get mad at me. And they're going to, who do you think? All those kinds of things. Listen. The Word of God says we need to restore that person and we need to do it gently. It's not an option. We who are walking as we ought to walk as those who know Jesus Christ ought to be able to do that on a regular basis with one another. But you know what? That's not the culture that's developed in most of our churches today. We have an independent spirit culture rather than a we-need-one-another kind of church body culture. But that's what the body of Christ is all about, dependent on God and one another. So what do we do with this? Well, Matthew chapter 18. Does Matthew 18 ring a bell in any way? That's typically the passage that we go to when we talk about dealing with sin as it relates to or leads to church discipline. But Matthew 18, verse 15, the first verse of that text talks about if your brother or sister sins, and I think I have that on the slide, if your brother or sister sins, you go point out their fault just between the two of you. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. You see, it's not talking to everybody else in the church about somebody else's sin. It's going to that individual, just you and them. Some translations have, if your brother or sister sins against you. That may be assumed, but it's not part of the, I I don't think that has to be there. If they sin and we know it, go to that, point out their fault just between the two of you. We talked about that last week. We don't tell everybody else about it. At this point, we talk to them one-on-one. And then there's direction. If we were to go on to talk about what's next, you take two or three witnesses. If nothing happens, you take it to the church. But that's the whole church discipline. And I I didn't want to go to this text initially because I don't want you to think that what what I'm talking about, what Paul's talking about in Galatians chapter 6 is all about church discipline. It may get there. But folks, I'm talking about everyday Christian living when we know a brother or sister has been overtaken in a sin and we hear them, we see them, whatever it is, we have a responsibility to restore them. And there are some people in churches across the world who are living in sin, who haven't dealt with it, who haven't taken it to God, who haven't claimed 1 John 1, 9, and you and I, as those who know Jesus, who are walking with him on a daily basis, need to go and restore that person for the glory of God and the good of God's people. So is there someone you need to talk with? Is there someone you need to have a spiritual conversation with? Is there someone that you know who needs to be restored to a right relationship with God because they've sinned and they're not dealing with it, but you know them, you say you care about them, that you love them, are you willing to go to them, confront them, and restore them gently? Just between the two of you.
That's the bottom line. You see, we talk about the need to win the lost. We talk about the need to tell those who don't know Jesus. That's what we talk about when we use that word lost, who don't know Jesus. We talk about the importance to win the lost, but sometimes we have to win the saved. Sometimes those who know Jesus have walked away and haven't dealt with their sin, and we need to help win them back to a right relationship, fellowship with God. They're still children of God. Nothing has changed that. But they're out of fellowship with God, and if that's true, they're out of fellowship with His church. So what do we do? Are you willing and ready to have that conversation? Are you willing and ready to do what Paul says back up in chapter 5? Are you willing to serve one another humbly in love by caring about them enough to restore them gently to that right fellowship with God? Because bottom line, we do have responsibility for one another as members of the body of Christ. That's what God says in his word. Will you do something about that? I'm not saying to go on a witch hunt, but are we willing to restore one? So how's your neighbor? How's your brother? Will you have that conversation? Let's pray. Father, what a significant verse or two of Scripture here. It has to do with the unity of the body. It has to do with maintaining that because we are as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're in this together. God, help us to walk with you on a regular basis, to be led by the Spirit, to be practicing the fruit of the Spirit, and God, to be willing to have that spiritual conversation so that we can restore one who's been take, overtaken by sin and hasn't yet dealt with it. Oh God, would you burden our hearts to love one another that much to help them deal with their sin. And God, if there are those here today who don't know Jesus, who've never believed on the Lord Jesus, who've never put their faith alone in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of their sin, oh God, I pray that you'd stir their hearts, bring conviction to their need, to their hearts about their need of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to be the church to one another for the glory of God and the good of your church. For it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.